It has to be a collective movement. It's all hands on deck at this point. We're talking about having very open, honest discussions, truly collaborating with people in the workplace and at home. This is the Curious Neuron Podcast, where we take a compassionate approach to science-based parenting. Join us as we break down the science of child development and parenting into digestible and applicable advice. Welcome. everyone, welcome back to the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington and I'm your host. And if you haven't heard about this report yet that came out of Ohio State University, they found that 66% of parents reported being burnt out. And that's why today's episode is all about parental burnout and workplace burnout. I have two guests that I'm um, really excited to share with you today. But before, I would like to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute here in Montreal at the Neuro for supporting the Curious Neuron Podcast. And if you have haven't done so yet, please take a moment to rate the podcast and review it on iTunes. And if you are not following us yet and like, would like to learn more from Curious Neuron, you can join us on Instagram at Curious underscore Neuron and visit our website at CuriousNeuron.com. Now let's introduce our two guests. I, I'm happy to bring two because I wanted to bring their expertise. First, we have Dr. Jacqueline Margulis. She's an associate professor of applied behavioral science at Pepperdine University. She conducts research on teamwork, leadership, and employee well-being. Next, we also have Shelly, who is a parent and board-certified physician assistant and founder of Run Tell Mom. She's focused on sustainable burnout prevention and recovery for both parents and caregivers. She received her postgraduate certification from the Training Institute of Parental Burnout and is a fair play facilitator addressing household equity. She collaborates with other parental mental health advocates in order to increase burnout awareness in both personal and professional atmospheres. Welcome both Shelly and Jacqueline. How are you? <laughs> Doing good. Yes. I'm so happy to hang out with you guys. This is going to be great. We know we've chatted on Instagram and now we're here on the podcast and we need to talk about burnout because it's basically what everybody's talking about. Usually I, mm -hmm. I look at the research or I look at like, you know, news articles and I can pinpoint one or there's just one or two recent ones that I could start talking about. But when it comes to burnout, everybody's talking about it and everybody's posting about it, especially with this new report that I just mentioned before. So where do we begin? It's what's happening? Why is everybody talking about burnout? It's a great question. You know, burnout isn't a new construct, uh, at least from the organizational space. Christina Maslach introduced it in the 70s. So this is something we've known about for a long time. And originally it kind of came to be because of physicians. We saw people in healthcare who were really experiencing this exhaustion and this cynicism and this lowered belief in themselves. However, obviously we've realized since then it can apply so many different areas of our lives, both at work and both at home as well. Um, so I think the kind of big expansion of it has to do with just the way the world has changed over the last couple of years. The structures that we had probably weren't enough to support us to begin with. And then you bring in the pandemic and start getting rid of a lot of these mm -hmm. supports that we had that weren't enough to begin. And so you have so many people just resonating with these feelings. And then also, you know, burnout isn't something that happens overnight. It's a slow buildup. And so if the pandemic had lasted two months, we probably wouldn't have had this, but it's been 
an unbelievable amount of time that we have been living with such unbelievable challenges that you feel this accumulation over time. Yeah. I think for some of us, it's nice to know that we're not alone in that feeling, right? Well, 66%, right? (laughs) That's really high. Right. And I would have asked you, you know, perhaps we're using this term very loosely and we're using it to say that we're tired or stressed or chronically tired, but I don't think we are with the results from this report. 66% is really high. It is high. Just based on the Ohio State University report, we're looking at mothers, people with multiple children, parents of children with ADHD, Mm. parents who are concerned about their children who have undiagnosed mental health conditions. I mean, this is very layered, you know, we're capturing a very small group here, right? Because if you asked everybody, are you going to get an honest response? There's a lot of shame and fear in, in stating, you know, I may be experiencing burnout because of X, maybe it's like a lack of support. Um, you don't know where to find some of these resources. So to really kind of admit that somebody is struggling with this, it takes a lot of might, right? Like we're, we're now seeing 66. I think that is way lower than probably what it is, to be honest. But these are people who, you know, based on these like five kind of groups that don't have the support, as Jacqueline mentioned, that one would have before. Mm. And that one kind of key component that really struck me is the term they just said mothers. They didn't even have to subcategorize it, just the term mother alone. And the workload, you have that picture in your head, right? Like the invisible workload of what what goes on in the household. We have so much to talk about with just mothers and and you know their workload. The one thing that's st- that really stood out to me when I was listening to Shelly is is recently I spoke with a company and we were talking about mental health and I gave a talk for this company and they didn't want me to talk about burnout too much. They didn't want me to bring up the symptoms. They just wanted me to talk about it in general, make it very vague because they were afraid that most of their employees would feel that they might have all these symptoms and would have to take time off. And as a company, they were afraid of this. But on the other end, as for me, like understanding the brain and mental health, that's scary for all the employees. And I'm assuming this is very common in lots of companies because if you say, hey, you know, here are the symptoms and then you have like 75% of your your employees leaving, how do you function as a company? I'm not sure how to address this. I just wanted to bring this up, but maybe we can start off with the symptoms because I believe that everybody should understand what to look for. Um, You know, and it's not necessarily that they might have to leave work, but we'll learn from you guys, hopefully what we can do. So how do we, how about understanding what we mean when we say burnout? I think that's so important. And one thing that I would highlight that I think is really critical for people to understand is that burnout isn't just a yes, no thing, right? So the most common way to assess burnout, at least in the organizational space is through the Maslach burnout inventory, the MBI, and it's a scale. You answer questions on a scale. And so it's not just saying I am not burnout or I am burnout, but rather you have some degree of burnout. And so you're not going to go from feeling extremely, extremely burnout today to feeling less burnout tomorrow, but you're hoping to move down the scale. And so we're trying to make those incremental improvements. And also my guess is because of what we've all been through this collective experience over the last few years, those numbers are so high because we're all experiencing some sort of burnout and whether that's at home or at work. So that was kind of 
one point that you asked. The other is kind of how do we know about, do we have burnout? So Shelly, I'd love for you to kind of complement what I'm saying for home. I am much more familiar with how this plays out at work. Um, But the three traditional uh, components of burnout are exhaustion, indifference, and lowered self-efficacy. So exhaustion, or sometimes it's called emotional exhaustion, is when you are so tired. And this isn't that normal, like I had a really hard day, I'm feeling, um, you know, drained. This is like you wake up and you're already tired just thinking about going to your job. And so it's that exhaustion that you can't really get rid of. And then indifference is just you're being cynical about your work and your job. I talked about how this kind of began with doctors and the most common example is there, they might start seeing their work as cases rather than people. And so you see them kind of being psychologically removed from their work and then doubting themselves and doubting what they're doing. And so you can see this exhaustion, this cynicism, and this lowered belief in yourself across all different types of professions. And I'm sure that applies at home, but Shelly, that's definitely where you know how they play out at home. So you're, I'd love to hear what you have to say there. Yeah. I mean, definitely you nailed the whole overwhelming exhaustion, emotional exhaustion. Um, The other component is the emotional distancing from your parental role and from your children. And then that you think of that all due to chronic stress exposure over a long period of time, and you're just kind of giving up. And to me, that kind of reminds me of these, you know, different stages. And we can talk about it, I guess, more in the science component of like, are you in fight, flight, or freeze state? And the freeze state is more of like, okay, well, now I'm disconnected. I'm like out of the picture here at this point. And so that whole, you know, kind of spectrum, as Jacqueline mentioned, of are we experiencing burnout? Where are we in that spectrum? And many parents are kind of feeling it. And I think what would really help is to have this like collective definition that everybody can understand, like, this is how we study it to measure it, because a lot of studies aren't necessarily measuring the same thing, but they're reporting burnout. And so I think that's kind of where the lines get a little blurred um, for people and saying, well, I think I have it. I'm not really sure. And so, you know, eventually I think we are getting there. The more we, you know, talk to parents and families and say like, what has your experience been? Um, the more families I talk to now, we're hearing both parents are feeling burnt out. And so I think kind of um, really nailing down a true definition, how we study it will help us understand, like, how can we move forward and and recover from it, right? Because once you have it, you can still get it again. Um, yeah. It doesn't stop you from experiencing burnout in the future. I love that we're contrasting the work and the home part because I'm thinking of a friend of mine who at the end of the first lockdown here uh, in 2020, she quit a job that she loved before the lockdown mm-hmm. that, you know, was a great, she's, it's, it's everything she ever wanted in a job. And she had tested different jobs, obviously, before that. And this was the one that she kept telling me, I'm finally comfortable with my job. She had been there for three, four years at that point. And she quit. And now having listened to Jacqueline, it makes sense that, you know, after four months of being home with the kids who were two kids who were trying to, you know, do their schooling uh, on Zoom and then trying to manage a high like director job, she couldn't balance Mm -hmm. both anymore. And then all the symptoms that you just said make sense. She ended up going back to the job. Luckily, they took her back because she realized, what am I doing? But that moment of just like, that's it, I'm done. I don't like what I'm doing anymore. But now I'm thinking to what Shelly said. 
And as parents, we don't have that freedom to say, I'm out, <laughs> that's it, I'm done. But what we're seeing is what, like Shelly just mentioned, mm -hmm. is I'm hearing parents who are saying, I'm disconnected. I cannot be present anymore with my child. And I'm thinking of the level of exhaustion that they're experiencing. And there was an article, I think, Shelly, that you posted about that said, like, it's a public health issue. So where do, how do we move forward as parents, as people who are working, as a society? Where do we begin with this? It has to be a collective movement. It's all hands on deck at this point. Because parents, yes, we can say to parents, and I, I think about this myself, like, you know, this idea of self-care. We see it all the time on social media. It is a huge hashtag. Everybody, all of us talk about it. And we all have definitions of what self-care is. Yes, self-care is absolutely positively important. Mm -hmm. But what about all of the other things? What if we are, you know, we define this, this thing called working parent. What is a working parent? For some people, I opened up this discussion and it turned into, you're only a working parent if you get paid. Mm. What about stay-at-home parents? Are they working parents? That opened up the floodgates here, right? So I think about, mm. let's say in this case, working mm. parent. How are you being supported at work? What kind of workplace flexibility do you have? If you are taking maternity leave, are they begrudgingly giving it to you? Do you feel like you're kind of dangling on a thread there if you do take it? Will there be repercussions if you take it? Shorter hours, less pay? I think, you know, in order to really kind of tackle this head on, we all need to have an understanding of how to really better support, you know, parents in this case, when we're talking about workplace burnout people within um, the workplace in a sustainable way that doesn't just say, here's a survey, we're going to ask you a bunch of questions, and then we're going to give you a gift card to, let's say, go get coffee or whatever the, the case may be um, for our workplace wellness, you know, course or whatever we're, we're, we're talking about. We're talking about having very open, honest discussions. Yeah truly collaborating with people in the workplace and at home. And sometimes these conversations are super uncomfortable, right? To say to your partner, if you're in a partnered relationship, mm. this work isn't all working for me. Mm. You're the only one benefiting. Mm. And if somebody is the only one benefiting, why would they have any impetus to change? They wouldn't, right? They're, they're benefiting. And so really it's, it's like a whole... Uh, it takes everybody to be able to make changes here. Going back to self-care, though, I mean, how how do we define that? Because even this is something that I struggle myself, like balancing being home with three kids and homeschooling and then finding time to go for a walk. And I've been very open about this on social media where I started walking about two and a half, three weeks ago. And that was the first time in six years, you know, since having a child. And then I think back, like, why didn't I do this? It's so important for my health. Why am I neglecting that? But then I'm also thinking about, the workload that it, so we hear self-care and if you're burnt out, it's like, so I have to do more. <laughs> and and also going back to what Jacqueline mentioned in the, in the workplace. So people aren't enjoying what they're doing. It, again, that means the productivity is going down. That means that you're seeing your employees kind of like not doing what they should be doing and they're not concentrating the way that they should be or whatever it is. So how do we implement that self-care within the workforce without 
it being an extra course or extra work or a questionnaire that they have to follow? It's a great question. And I love how you started that, Shelly, that it's complicated, right? One of my favorite mm-hmm. things that I've read recently is a research article in the management field that was looking at how much burnout changes from day to day. And I swear, Cindy, this is coming back to your question. Um, but basically what it found is if you survey people every day on their level of burnout, it's going to fluctuate up to 30% day to day. And so that's huge, right? If I tell you, you can feel up to 30% better tomorrow, like most people are going to be excited about that. And that's figuring out what can I do that works for me that I can have that quote unquote self-care and that self-care has almost been co-opted to say like, you know, go take a bubble bath, which as someone who loves bubble bath, that's a great Mm -hmm. self-care thing for me, but I would not recommend it for everybody. (laughs) And I think the key there is to understand that you have to figure out what gives you energy and be willing to put resources Mm -hmm. there. Because for instance, let me give you an opposite example. Some people are like, go hiking. I live in Los Angeles. Hiking is extremely popular. And I have horrible allergies. Every time I go on a hike, I feel worse than when I left, right? So that's a horrible thing for me to do for my self-care. But sitting in my bed, reading a book completely rejuvenates me because I'm an introvert. I like getting my energy back that way. (laughs) And so almost doing an audit with yourself about what's giving you energy and what's sucking up energy is so important. The other half of that to what Shelly was talking about is the half glass empty perspective is there's 70% Mm -hmm. that is a lot more stable than we want it to be with regards to burnout. And so that means that it's going to take a while to change. We need societal changes. We need societal norms. We need Mm -hmm. um, all of these things to evolve in order to really feel differences. So we need those organizational policies that support maternity leave. We need not the mental load to be more typically held by the mom or the woman that we constantly see people, you know, struggling with. And so we need to have these evolutions in order to really be able to see progress, especially in the home, Mm -hmm. especially in the home, right? We think about like, um, role, you know, role collision within work and as a parent. And when things start to compete, right? Let's say one of the parents has a heavier workload and they're not getting, you know, any offset within the household. So they're having to come home. They're still working at home and everything just, it, it just pours over. And so how can you cross train within your household to be able to manage it better? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is, you know, we say communication is a big component to that, but really understanding also like partner strengths. And I say partner weaknesses, but not, not really like maybe things that they just don't like doing, but can you do it in a different way that you can enjoy it more? Or is there a way to reconnect with your partner so that you're still spending time with one another Mm. and you're getting things done within your house? A lot of this is, you know, how much can we hand off Mm -hmm. and what can we take on? And that amount changes always change evolving. And we call, we do the same kind of exercises in the workplace. We call it job crafting, trying to figure out how to leverage what you enjoy doing and what your strengths are and working with your boss to do that. And how can you streamline some of those challenges? 
You're also reminding me of such an important point. Mm. Cindy, I hate to hear you be like, why did I not go walking for the six, the last six years? But you also, I mean, not to be creepy, but I follow you on Instagram. So I know you have <laughs> kids in the last six years. Yeah. yeah. And you, we also were in a pandemic. So mm. there's a difference between like surviving and thriving, mm. right? If you are mm-hmm. in that mode where you have three kids that all of a sudden you're homeschooling, that we're living in the midst of this global unknown, of course, we mm-hmm. weren't going to be at our best. But what I love is once you feel like you have a little bit of space, creating that more space for you so that you can let it keep rolling, mm-hmm. because that's all we can do, right? We're not always going to be at our best or else that it's just an unrealistic expectation. But as long as you see that availability and start making those positive changes at home, at work, that's all we can do to really take control. And so don't say like, why have I not done that for the six years? But like, isn't it cool that I found this space and that I'm starting to go from that surviving mode to that thriving mode? <laughs> and I love that you mentioned that because perhaps there's parents that are listening who, it could be a single parent or a brand new you know, parent that has yeah. a newborn. And my life is very different now than it was six years ago or you know, even two years ago with a newborn and two small kids. Exactly. And I think the biggest part of all this was Mm self-compassion which was hard to even during the pandemic a lot of parents would say why can't I why am I not thriving right now and I'm like nobody is it's okay (laughs) right and and (laughs) but that piece of just being accept like accepting what's happening right now Mm -hmm. it might not be the right time for those walks or those bubble baths or reading a book you know that's something very common from parents too they're like I'd love to read books but I don't have time and you can start Mm -hmm. off with one page per night and that's okay but I love the way that you phrased it exactly how do you get your energy back and I've started setting boundaries in the home and maybe some parents can start that it's little steps the boundary of I want my coffee hot (laughs) because it had been years that it was just cold and I would just let it be but the joy didn't I didn't get the joy that I wanted from it Um, and just telling kids like now's coloring time or grab a book I'm having this coffee and it's going to be hot (laughs) right to just kind of set those boundaries in your home Shelly you've brought Mm -hmm. up blocking time blocking for self-care or just even scheduling that's something I spoke about recently scheduling a a big part of like planning and family planning when it comes to burnout? Absolutely. And that's something that you can start from the beginning. I've been saying Mm. this, I started saying this more lately, but burnout prevention is a form of family planning. So Mm. if you start putting things into place as early as possible, you're starting to create those habits. And of course, like, you know, all of us like the science stuff, like that stuff to me, I'm like, I can dork out on this all day long. (laughs) But really when you break that down, it's like, The more space, as Jacqueline said, you can create within your schedule that is flexible, you're always going to have unknowns that happen, right? There's always going to be a cancellation. There was like a cluster of months where my husband and I were literally tag teaming different things within the house because of closures, COVID. I mean, you Mm. name it. Um, norovirus. Like it it was literally everything, something with the animal. It didn't matter, but we had to have a system in place well in advance so that we can work through it. And, you know, when people kind of think about burnout prevention, they don't necessarily think of that as a form of family planning, but any component of gathering resources to further support you, whether or not you might or might not need them, you're packing a suitcase so that you can go on vacation and have everything that you need. So with that being said, that is like time blocking. If you look at your schedule, for instance, something that I do on a regular basis now is at night, I write down everything I would like to do for the next day. 
I come back to it with fresh eyes and I rearrange that schedule based on urgency. Maybe that's like the clinician in me. That's like, all right, order of importance. (laughs) Here's urgent. Here's non-urgent. This is what can move to the side. If I don't get to it today, that's one thing. The other thing is if we're skipping, you know, water breaks, eating a meal, getting snack, going outside, getting some sunlight on our face in the morning, these things they have an impact on our body because it becomes habitual for us, right? I talk to surgeons all the time. They're like, I haven't drank water all day long. Mm-hmm. Now I don't have to pee. Okay. They laugh about it. And then they say, well, now I have, you know, kidney related stuff or a UTI or something, but they just, they fully will say like, Hey, if I'm skipping water breaks, it's because I'm too busy. So mm-hmm. what can you do in that circumstance? Right. Is it setting a timer, you know, within the OR that's like on your phone or something to notify you. Yes. You're not going to step away from a case in that moment. Right. But you do know, as soon as you do get a moment within, you know, maybe closure of that case, you're going and getting some water. Mm -hmm. You're going and doing something for yourself that shows that you're still human and you're not a plug-in ready robot. You Mm -hmm. need these things. You need to eat to have your mitochondria and everything working within your body sounds simple, but really it's like these things are, they're so important. And let's bring that into like the science of all of this. uh, And let's get geeky a little bit. (laughs) You know, there's this article, right? And I'm just, I just want to pull out the, the, the picture because just to paint an idea for everybody uh, so that they, they know what I'm looking at and you'll have the link in the show notes. There's burnout written at the center of this. And there are, I don't know, about 20 (laughs) different arrows pointing to different parts of, um, of, of the body and how it burnout will impact your body from the automatic, um, autonomic nervous system, you know, thinking about your heart rate and your blood pressure to your stress system, to brain changes in the hippocampus, which has to do with memory to your immune system, organ damage, you know, metabolic changes. Changes, which is like lipids and, and, and fat cells and so on, hypertension, mm-hmm. sleep and homeostasis, all of that is impacted and we might not realize that. So seeing this is a little scary as a parent saying like, you know, if I'm mm-hmm. in this, this is how I'm impacting or influencing my body and how it's functioning. But it also is a way for me to realize and, and other parents, hopefully, something needs to be done that I can't just ignore it. So can we talk a little bit about, you know, how burnout impacts the body? Shelly, you brought up the mitochondria. This is the the powerhouse of our cells. And you brought up water, right? So let's just link it a little bit to, you know, somebody who says, I'm always tired. Even if I recover and I get like that good weekend sleep, I go to work on Monday and I'm exhausted and I can't focus. And they might not link it back to their body. Yeah. How much water are you drinking? That's one Mm -hmm. of the things. How much Mm -hmm. water are you drinking? Um, I remember when I first started my whole school process and we started talking about water and here I am slamming, you know, oat milk latte or, you know, almond (laughs) milk lattes, maybe taking, I think at that time it was almond milk. Now I'm on to oat, but you know, (laughs) whatever. Um, and, and just not drinking enough water. And I would think to myself, like, first of all, I'm tired, right? I'm tired every day, but I'm Mm -hmm. studying constantly. And your body, when you're studying, you're learning, you need energy, you need fuel, right? You have this fat mass inside of your head, your brain, which is so unbelievably amazing that needs fuel. And in order for it to make these, you know, neural connections and to have functioning memory, you need the fuel, the water, et cetera. But as far as fatigue is concerned, 
not getting enough water in, you will tell the difference. If you start getting in proper hydration and you're, let's say you're exercising, you're going to need more water, your body will feel different. It might not be immediate, right? Because you have to kind of get rehydrated, but there, there is a difference. And as far as like the, I guess, overall impact, right. You started going through a a Mm. list of tons of them. We're thinking about like increased heart rate and blood pressure, blood pressure being a big one, um, increased lipids, triglycerides. Mm. We're thinking about cardiovascular disease and that being, you know, a risk factor, um, poor wound healing and, and immune function. Um, think about the past, even if we just look at the past two plus years, I have heard from multiple people. I mean, gosh, even kids at the preschool, like parents at the preschool where my son goes to school saying, man, like when I get sick now, I get so sick. And I just feel like my immune system is getting rocked. I'm like, yeah. And in my head, I'm not, you know, putting my input or anything. I'm just trying to be supportive, but I'm thinking in my head, like, yes, you have been through incredible stress. And with that stress comes the, you know, the immune impact quality of sleep going down. Um, and we know how that impacts, uh, memory, you know, memory consolidation, recall all of these things. And then on top of it, um, aging, you know, increased risk of mortality because of all this other stuff with the cardiovascular and, and immune function and, you know, increased cortisol. So, it's, it's, it's a lot scary. and, and you're right. Yeah. This can be, um, overwhelming to look at, mm. but we don't have to make that overwhelming for anybody. We can just simply walk through it and say, we, it makes complete sense that you're feeling this way. And yeah. this is the kind of underneath the curtain, what is going on. What is the sort of, so now knowing the impact that burnout can have on your body, where does somebody begin? Right. Is it just as simple as making sure you eat if you're a new parent or if you're, you know, leaving work and working hard and then coming home and then you realize I haven't eaten anything that day or I didn't drink any water, like those tiny little steps, can they make a difference? Or is it just about saying I need to stop work for three months? Because I know that the peop- some people might be listening and wondering, like, what do I, what do I do now? So it's such like a fascinating conversation because I feel like I study like if you imagine burnout as like a box, like I study the box and you guys are like opening the box and Mm -hmm. showing me what's on the inside. And so it's just like informative for me too, which is really cool. Oh, so for new parents, um, what are some things even within the workplace? Like if we give three months or, you know, what can we do just better support? Uh, So what can we do to help um, when you're feeling this new burnout? The one thing to note is, If you skip a meal one day or you realize that you haven't been drinking enough water, that's okay, right? We're not looking at something that happens once. We're looking at long-term changes, but it's establishing those routines that work for you. And a lot of times what happens is we'll start these routines and then we'll let them drop and say like, oh, it's not worth it at all. And that's completely normal. The goal, for instance, I would suggest start a couple of different things and recognize before you start them that they're not all going to work, right? So maybe you're going to get like a huge water bottle and say, I'm going to drink two of these a day. And I'm going to set an alarm for this time to make sure that I eat lunch. And at the end of the day, I'm going to mind dump all of my thoughts for tomorrow before I go home so that I can leave work at work. 
And you realize after a couple of weeks that like, you've never done the mind dump, you just pause the alarm, but you are drinking the water. That's a huge win that you're drinking the water. And so what did that teach you that you can apply going forward? Because none of this is to say you have to be perfect, but figure out the routines that work for you. And what works for you isn't going to work for someone else and vice versa. So it's part of that like personal development, understanding yourself, self-awareness that is so important for it. The other thing is I want to be cognizant that especially for parents and and especially for those people who don't have a ton of flexibility, sometimes it always feels like adding something more on, which can feel exhausting, right? And so one of my favorite things to push for, um, and this does this does apply at work as well, is this idea of temptation bundling. And so putting together things that you really love with things that you have to do. So for instance, if you're around your kids all the time, but you just love books and you're like, all I want to do is sit down and read a book and I don't have time. Can you get your phones and listen to an audiobook while you're hanging out with your kids so that you can put something that might be draining your energy right now, being around your kids all the time. We all love our kids, but we know it can be draining sometimes with something that you love listening to books. And so figuring out ways to combine what you have to do with what you want to do can be really powerful. If you feel like I just can't cut any time out to be by myself, how can you fit what you want to do in with what you're already doing? That's amazing advice. It even it it makes me think of that book Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what he called it. It was a different term, but for me, it was about like I wanted to start taking vitamins and and just thinking about my health. And it was about placing the vitamin on the counter like the night before, right. or putting the bottle next to my kids' plates because I know that I'll go grab theirs first in the morning. Right. So it was about I, I love that um, advice because, like you said, it's about doing something while you're doing other things that you normally do anyways. So we're not adding to our list because it is overwhelming as a parent. And to that example, if you were like, I need to start taking vitamins. And after two weeks, you realized you forgot every day. A lot of times we'll just be like, all right, never mind. I'm not going to take vitamins. Yeah. But it's saying like, okay, that didn't work. So what can I do to make sure that I'm going to take these? Like, let me put them, like you said, by my kid's breakfast or whatever it is that'll work Mm -hmm. for you. And so realizing that a lot of these experiments aren't necessarily going going to work, but give it some time to figure out what is going to work for you, knowing that the whole process is just learning. Exactly. And combining what you and Shelly are saying right now, I'm thinking about it as like being a business owner within your home. (laughs) You're blocking everything, you're scheduling everything, who's doing what, you know, dividing the tasks in the household and and just looking at it as your business. And it kind of makes sense after because you're, you feel like you're more in control of everything. Yeah. You're the household engineer. Right. You're you're like, (laughs) I'm the manager here. No, I mean, what, what, what both of you are talking about makes a lot of sense, right? Like these things aren't going to change overnight. And we, that self-compassion coming back to what you said, Cindy earlier is, is understanding that these things will not change overnight. If we're truly experiencing burnout, one night of good sleep is not going to change the past two, three, five, 10 years of what you may have been experiencing. Um, you know, for some, it is that real collision of like, Hey, I'm going to work and I'm coming home. And now I'm experiencing some spectrum of burnout in both atmospheres of my life. Mm. And so what can we do? Right. I mean, they're the good thing with these articles that we've been reading is you can make changes to make new connections, that neuroplasticity, right. Of, Mm changing things within your home. If something didn't work, 
you can change it. If something didn't work at your, you know, your job, there are ways to change it. Now that goes back into the uncomfortable conversations that sometimes we need to have, right? Whether it's Mm -hmm. like with supervision, uh, like with your supervisor, Mm -hmm. management team, organization, um, advocacy groups within the workplace, or, um, you know, within your household, if you're a partner, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and, and working with like multiple children in the house, like, how can we literally work together as a team and team build Mm -hmm. to do something new? And sometimes what that looks like is, you know, if you got fresh snow and you're making footprints in the snow, we're not taking those same footprints anymore. Mm -hmm. We're taking a new path and that path's not going to be easy, but we're going to take something else because what we were doing before wasn't working. Mm -hmm. So now we have to change. And I think a lot of these, and Jacqueline, I'm sure you can agree, like when you have these conversations with people and Cindy, you mentioned this earlier, like, I don't want to mention this to my staff. Mm. What if they all quit? And I will say that is a very honest response. I appreciate that response, but what if you do nothing Mm. and what? Imagine the outcome of that. Yeah. And even on the other side, the employee who might feel that they're the ones experiencing something big like they they might not know it's burnout but they're not being productive and they're feeling big emotions and they might struggle to speak to their boss knowing that mm-hmm. you know maybe they'll be frowned upon you know or why are you weak or you know why can't you keep up with the work um and being afraid to get fired so i think it's from both perspectives too of the employee being afraid to speak about it and then the 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 employer not wanting everybody to be burnt out but the consequences are much worse like you're saying it's they should have something implemented. I will say one thing that makes me really kind of excited going forward is we've gone through this whole shift for office jobs, especially about how people have conceptualized work over the last few years. And some of that, of course, is going to reverse and go back. And it's kind of like the pendulum swung one way (laughs) and it's going to, you know, find some way to neutralize. But people are starting to understand that FaceTime does not necessarily equal productivity. And that's a really positive change that would have taken a lot longer if we weren't shift to do a lot remotely um, sooner than people were necessarily going to do it outside the pandemic. And a lot of what I talk to people about is that quantity does not equal quality. And we have to get out of the mindset of thinking, if you are staying at work over time, that means that you are doing the best work. And that's not necessarily true. And we know from research, and there's fascinating economic studies on this about how working more hours does not equate to more output, but we need to get past that mindset. And we're starting to, right? People are starting to become more attuned to this, but not enough and not, not everyone. I have to spend time convincing people that quantity does not equal quality. And we have to be careful of that in all aspects of our life. I think that was one of the the positive aspects of what happened in the past two years was the work from yeah. home part. Some parents that I've spoken with said the fact that they didn't have to have the morning rush of like getting up early and bringing their kids to daycare or school and then rushing to the downtown area here in Montreal, that brought a little bit less stress on their lives. Now what we're seeing, we're getting out of it here in Montreal and some companies are saying, okay, now we've been home long enough. Um, Everybody's coming back either five days a week or four days a week. And a lot of parents are hesitating because they saw their quality of life improve, but the companies are uncomfortable. 
But it seems to be at the company's level now where they're sort of struggling saying, well, you've been home uh, and we need to have people in the office at this point. So there's going to have to be some sort of give and take at this point, because I don't think we can go back to the full five days and people feel more productive anyways. Where do, where does a company go or where do, right. <laughs> what should they do at this point? I mean, they have to listen at the, like, you know, the employees want more time home. Yeah. I mean, it's still a work in yeah. progress, right? Like there's a lot of people who are struggling with that idea that if you can work from home, you should be able to work from home. Mm -hmm. But we also see this idea of that great resignation that's going on, that people are willing to leave jobs that yes. aren't meeting their needs. Yeah. And so there's going to be the shift of people figuring it out and companies figuring it out. It's going to take time, right? There are a lot of people who want it one way or the other. There are things that absolutely are better to do in person. And then there are many things that we can do on our own and not everybody works best from nine to five every day exactly. or whatever your hours are. Yeah. So letting people play into what works best from them is really empowering for employees. Mm. Um, it's that different from that mindset of control, see you to know what you're doing. And so figuring out that give and take, but we do know that when you give employees autonomy, that's one of the biggest contributors mm. to intrinsic motivation. So if you want to have people who are excited about their work, giving them autonomy over their schedule can be really powerful, especially once they're onboarded and know what they're doing and know how to contribute. Yeah. yeah. So there's, it's, mm. you know, there's no one answer for every company and every industry and every job, but we all need to get used to this idea that just because it was done that way in the past doesn't mean that we should do that going mm -hmm. forward. And that autonomy piece plays within our kids as well, because the more autonomy we give them, even when they're toddlers, about like grabbing a plate and a cup for, for dinner time, it lessens the workload on us and it makes them feel happy. And we have to start looking at that as parents mm -hmm. as well. We're doing everything for our kids and we're home and it's overwhelming. But the more we step back and give them a bit of that autonomy, it takes that load off of us too. Yes. I love how concepts just like apply at all mm. the different levels, right? Because I have a, uh, yeah. <laughs> preached this idea of autonomy and intrinsic motivation in the workplace. And now with the toddler, like you should wear this outfit today. And she's nope, I'm wearing that one. Right. And so understanding how it applies, yeah, how it applies at, <laughs> with people in general, regardless of who they are, what age mm. they're at, what environment they're at. Mm. It's just such a cool crossover. Oh, yes. I love it. Mm -hmm. I know it's true. Um, I, I do want to, we're going to have to wrap up this conversation and it's so sad because I think there's a lot more to say. Um, I want to make sure that we address some of the questions that I received from parents. One of them was, how do I know if I have burnout? And I think we've covered that enough to, to understand signs and symptoms that you mentioned at the beginning. I think I'm burnt out now. What? And again, I think we've spoken enough about that. The one that really stood out to me was how do you recover when you can't offload your responsibilities? Would you say that that applies to what you said before about how to get your energy back or is there something more that we can do as parents maybe a mix of what both of you said in terms of also offloading or like scheduling stuff um that's how I would answer but is there anything else we can add to this uh, this question so the one thing that I think about is what are the um the negotiables and non-negotiables, what do you absolutely positively need to get to? Um, and as I mentioned before, there's, ah, yes. you know, ways that we can mm. kind of triage our own schedule to get to things that, you know, if, if this is the most important for the day, this is what we're going to do. Um, also how many people are participating in, within the household 
in all of these tasks. So one of the things that I think about is if you, if this is a team, if we're trying to go for like the bulls in the nineties, right? I'm a basketball fan. I think of the bulls and like everybody was a role player. Yes. We love Michael Jordan. Okay, great. He's a great player, probably arguably one of the greatest of all times, but you have support, right? You needed Scotty Pippen there. You may have needed Rodman or whoever, but you have team players within your house. So if you do have younger children, how can you teach that autonomy piece or like kind of coach that autonomy piece and also kind of weave in purpose? Is it setting the table? Is it, um, you know, learning how to get your clothing into the the hamper or um, sorting things for laundry, Um, going through the refrigerator and pulling things out or like putting stuff on shelves for us in the house. When we went through the shelves, I said, for our youngest, this is your shelf. Mm. All this stuff here, you can help yourself. And he thought it was the coolest thing. He's like, this is so cool. I can go and do. Mm. So it's Mm. how much can, you know, if you can't rely on somebody else to complete a task, are there ways that you can make some shifts within your house to get a little bit offloaded that starts to create the habit so that it's not always, Hey mom, can you do this? Hey, can you stop what you're doing right now on the computer at work? You're in in an important meeting. Can you come over here and help me with this? Of course, there's going to be those moments, but we need to start reconfiguring um, how the household entity works. And we need to take those moments and not feel bad about it. That communication piece is is important. And both of you have mentioned that, whether it's with your employer or your partner. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, I had posted a collaboration with the, the Datitude app. And we had they had asked um, some fathers what they would like their partners to or their wives to tell them more often. And the most common response was what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. So the, <laughs> the husbands wanted to know what their mm-hmm. wives were thinking. And I think that that comes into this conversation wonderfully because if we just place, and I use the example of, of like placing brand new toothpaste or things that need to go upstairs in my home on the stairs. And I believed, you know, that it was universal that when you see something there, you know, you have to bring it upstairs, but not to my husband. <laughs> so he would walk up the stairs and then my anger would build, you know, and he would walk up the stairs again and the toothpaste was still there. And I realized, okay, I need to tell him. And once I told him, I'm like, but it's there. You should have just brought it upstairs. He's like, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> so if we just kind of like open up and, and say, whether it's, it's to our employer or to our partner, but I need help. I'm I'm drowning in the housework. If you would just X, Y, Z, whatever it is, every day or every weekend, it would help a lot. Having those conversations might be uncomfortable with a part with a an employer saying, you know, like I I would need, I don't know, I don't know what somebody can ask for at work, but just a, a breathing room or can you offload this particular task to the other person? Maybe asking could make a difference. Absolutely. I mean, we all. There are toxic situations, right? I do not want to pretend that there aren't. Of course, but I would yeah. like to think that most managers want to see their employees succeed because their employees succeeding are helping their managers succeed as well and helping the company succeed. So asking things like, I have a lot on my plate. What should my priority be? Trying to figure that out and have those conversations. And you can't necessarily 
have the same conversation with your employer that you can with your husband. But the idea is the same of like level setting, understanding the priorities and understanding where you should focus your effort and what is beyond your scope. And so figuring out the way to, they call it managing up so that you can have that relationship. You have strengths and weaknesses. Similarly, your manager has their own strengths and weaknesses. I think there was a statistic that managers have about a 20% understanding of what their employees are doing. And so it's very clear to you what you're doing every day, right? But they don't see that. They're managing a bunch of people who are doing a bunch of processes. And so saying, you know, you've given me these three projects. I don't think that we're going to be able to get those done this week. Which one should I focus on is a completely logical conversation for most managers. I don't want to say everyone because there are those really hard individual scenarios, but in many situations that will help. Just to add to that, I guess also removing that thought of perfectionism or having to do everything that you're told at work, it's okay to say, this is a bit much. I don't have the capacity for that right now. Like being an advocate, right? And, And setting your own boundaries is might be difficult, but it's important. Yeah. And it also depends on, you know, the stage that you are in your career and where you are. I feel like a lot of times people will start and they just want to do everything and do it perfectly. And if you're setting yourself up for that, you're setting yourself up for burnout. So asking questions, seeking information, or if you don't feel comfortable going to your boss, going to a coworker that you think you have a good relationship with and say, you know, not in a gossiping way, but in a support way, I'm getting a lot of assignments from our boss and I'm having a hard time doing them in the hours. Can you tell me how you've typically approached this in the past? And when you do that, you're understanding like the organizational norms in addition to figuring out how to accomplish your tasks. Mm -hmm. And so just because you feel overwhelmed doesn't mean that there isn't a way out. It's just finding those sources of support. Connecting this back to what you both were saying and what Shelly was saying about the non-negotiables, we can have the same idea at work too. Um, What are our non-negotiables for getting done versus what are things that are nice to haves and nice to do's? And so we can try to figure out what those are. Some of the boundaries between work and home have been blurred also in the past two years. um, Oh, yeah. Where, you know, partners, uh, uh, sorry, friends of mine have been receiving like um, text messages or emails at 11 p.m. at night saying there's an emergency tomorrow. Can you finish this up? Um, You know, and and they're working evenings, even if they've been working all day and and balancing everything. I'm assuming that's one of the non-negotiables that we can talk about saying, you know, I'm done at five, (laughs) everything will be taken care of nine o'clock the next morning, you can you'll have to wait. But it's hard. And I think it's understanding the norms of an organization, right? Like I would love to say to everyone, well, it's different for salaried versus non-salaried employees, of course. But I would love to say for everyone, you know, once you leave, you're never going to have to think about work. In some companies, that's not the norm, but maybe you're able to better understand what is urgent and what isn't. Um, One of my favorite recent urgent recent studies that I read that talked about this is we have an email urgency bias. We get emails, assume they're urgent (laughs) and the vast majority of the time they're not. So I personally added as a supervisor, I added to my signature, you know, I may work different hours than you please respond within your work hours just to get past that email urgency bias. And so trying to have those conversations, figuring out the norms of the company and how they meet your 
non-negotiables so that you can find that sweet spot is so important. But the vast majority of the time, it's this self-discovery process because what's going to work for one person is not going to work for another. And so figuring that out is incredibly important. What works for you? What are the company norms and how can we bring those together to find that sweet, successful spot? How do we summarize everything that we just spoke about and create some sort of game plan for parents that are listening right now that might be feeling overwhelmed at home or feeling overwhelmed and and perhaps wondering if they're burnt out at work as well. Where do we begin as a parent? So um, just going back to how we were defining burnout before and, and people <laughs> saying, oh, I maybe I fall on the burnout scale. I'm not really sure. Um, from a, I guess, professional perspective, for more robust, objective definitions of what burnout really is, we need kind of a consistency of kind of describing it and defining it. So I think for, for some parents, part of this is, I don't even know if I have it. What if I have it? And, and what does that mean? And how does that impact my parenting and, and my point of view of myself? Yeah. And so I think a big part of the yes. kind of um, professional problem is if we don't really define this term and kind of look at, um, you know, how to really track this or repeat these in studies or whatever the case may be, then parents continue to be confused by it. And it's confounded by, I hear, you know, this being a part of the definition, that being a part of the definition. So I, I would say for one, for parents, if you are feeling a certain way, emotionally exhausted, um, detached within your the hemisphere of your home, um, you feel ineffective within your parental role. These are kind of the three core things that people notice. Professionally speaking, speak to someone within your healthcare team, a trusted support within your healthcare team, because even if they don't have the quickest you know um, answer for you or solution, there might be a connection in which they either refer somebody to get you as, you know, supportive services. It can be even as much as, you know, a parent saying, I don't have a babysitter um, to offload me. These things become very important um, as far as getting that additional piece of support within the household. And so to kind of move forward, I would say one, be very graceful with yourself. Everybody has gone through some sort of a, intense, um, you know, grief filled experience that has put strain, prolonged strain and stress on their lives. How we navigate that now, we're not all going to do the same things. We're not all going to practice the same self-care and that is absolutely okay. But for parents to kind of have that, you know, that self-compassion, that grace to mm -hmm. say, I'm not going to do the same things as maybe my friend or my neighbor. Um, but this is what works for me in getting my energy back. Um, taking better care of myself in small micro changes um, and, and doing that. And then also having, starting to have some conversations that you may not have had in the past that will um, gradually make changes within your life so that things can get better and they can get better. So don't lose hope. Yeah, I love that. Kind of this idea of zooming out, right? It's taken right. you a while to get to that burnout. And so if you don't see immediate results, that doesn't mean that you're failing. It means that you're just on the path to figuring out what's right. Thank you to both of you for offering all this information. It's There's so much. I hope everybody had their notebooks. <laughs> um, I would love to know from both of you, how can our listeners follow you and learn from you? Um, so Rental Mom on Instagram. And I just started doing funny stuff on TikTok. 
for whatever reason, it's just enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I ask a lot of questions on there and I get some really, really interesting responses that makes it really makes me think of how we can move forward collectively as a society, mm. given everything that everyone has been through. And so those two places and then rentalmom.com, um, I offer a bunch of different stuff. So coaching, I believe, right? Uh, yes. Just so people coaching. know. So if you are struggling. Um, yeah, so you can head on to her website. And I think you, your recent post is something that we could also have an entire conversation about, like maternity leave. You brought it up at the beginning, um, the differences between countries and the impact of maternity leave. I, I think that should be another topic that we discuss. Um, but yeah, and Jacqueline, how can we learn from you? I'm on Instagram on uh, at the workplace PhD. Thank you. Uh, thank you to both of you again. And um, thank you for, for listening to the Curious Neuron podcast. Please make sure you leave a rating and a review. Um, and I will be back next week. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>